0: live on February the 19th, 2017 from Coolidge, Arizona, and it's raining here a little bit today, and we're so thankful for that. We're in the Book of Acts, Chapter 8, finishing up the Book of Acts, uh, Chapter 8, uh, getting ready to go into Chapter 9, but just a few more, a uh, couple of points that we need to possibly re-emphasize uh, in the tail end of chapter 8
1: <clears throat> the um when we see that word 39 in first 39
0: <clears throat> and when they were come up out of the water the spirit of the lord the spirit belonging to the Lord, not a separate entity. And I want to look at that word breath because that's what the word is. And if we would always use the word breath, the word spirit does not exist anywhere in the Bible. The only reason it's in there because of a bias of the translators. It was not in the original text and translation. It's been added, and from that we have developed the idea of a Trinitarian separate entity, which is absolutely paganistic. That whole concept of multiple gods is out of the pit. And folks, we've got to get a handle on that because we'll never come out of the Dark Ages until we get clear that there is one Jehovah God he has a son who is always subjective to him. That's his son, Jesus Christ. And the spirit, as we're using it in the generic sense, is who they are. It's the definition of what something is. It is never a separate entity. And look at the word. Look at the word here. <clears throat> now, we document everything we see and say. And so... And you see, there's no article. They add the article because that reemphasizes the bias. Folks, cut free from the biases. The spirit is always, look at the gender. It is always in the neuter. And by that contrast, water is also neuter. Do you think of water and air as being any different? in that respect, they're both elements. They're both elements. They both came up out of the water, spirit, and look at, this is the breath effect. Look at chapter, uh, let's go to John. I just want to give you a couple of points and then we're going to move on. Um, In John chapter 3, I think it's verse six that I want John chapter, and we need to go just to the just to the Greek oh, okay. because you can't you can't document anything from the English John three let's start with verse six
1: that which is begotten there is no such word in the Greek for the word born. Did you know that
0: doesn't exist? It's always the word "begotten." That which is begotten out of the flesh, and that's that's right. That's out of the the nature of mankind. Mm-hmm. Sarks, flesh has to do with nature. Uh, flesh is that, that whatever it came out of you cannot you see evolution is so screwy because you cannot be something greater than what it is you came out of I'm well, hoping getting personal. Now. I'm getting personal I'm getting personal you can you can intellectually make something more of yourself than your mom and dad were, but you can't be anything different. You can't be a rose if you were born a human being. Evolution, you know, Charles Darwin says you could be. Um Well I identify as a rose today. Well, just the thorn part. <laughs> okay. But what I what I want to go down here is and, and that which is born out of the spirit, out of the spirit, coming out of a disposition, out of a character, out of the identity of something, you share in that identity. So when we, and remember this: that the only, the only. Did you hear that? What's the word there? The key word. Only way that God works today in the Christian era of dispensation. Under this covenant, God works only through the word. Doesn't work apart from the word. He has no reason to. Everything that God has in store for man has been revealed, first Peter one. Everything pertaining to life has been revealed. So everything that God wants us to be comes from the word. That's why Jesus said, my word is spirit. But again, the word spirit isn't really there. This is the word as well. You see, spirit, spirit is, and both neuter, both, both, see that's neuter, that's the gender, both neuter gender, which means it cannot be a person. So anybody who ever refers to the spirit as a person should be taken out and shot. (laughs) That's my friendlier nature coming out. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to get a shock effect here because, folks, we just keep sloughing off the stuff and we don't put a stop to it. And so what has happened in society today because of how the church has thought, we have, be, we have developed a needy, dependent people across the globe, and it all began with how the churches think, and until we get that thinking cleared up, we're never going to change the world to where individuals become self-reliant, individually
1: responsible.
0: It's always it's always an escape from reality when people start saying, Well, I did the spirit did this, the spirit did that. That is so totally nonsense, as Tanya would say as hogwash. But let's keep going. That's meant to be complimentary, right? And it's meant to be complimentary. Now did did we get to verse seven back there in John three? Oh, no, we didn't. <clears throat>
1: and go on to verse 8
0: alright now this is the word look at here why do they translate the exact same word here the way it should be when two verses up they translate it in how why do they translate it right here it's the same word. It's Numa. Numata, depending on what form what part of speech it's in. But you see, the neuter, the wind, neuter. It should always be wind or breath. Because breath, as we think of it, carries carries all of the elements of what's going on in your body. It's the carrier of who you are. That's why we have the spirit of jealousy. We have the spirit we have, uh, well, all of the list here, the spirit of slavery, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of generalism, and. All, they're all meant to, they're all exactly the same phrase as this. They all mean it is the identifying character of each of these nouns, whether it's jealousy or whatever it is. The spirit of jealousy is not a separate entity. It is never a separate entity. It is always what something is. And when we begin to think of it, we may have to force ourselves to remember that the word spirit should be removed from our language and it should always be the word air. We have pneumatic tires. We know what that means. This is the word pneumatic. It means air. That's all that it means. The carrier of whatever it is it's representing or a part of. So, the wind where it listeth
1: bloweth, and
0: the sound thereof thou hearest, and thou canst not tell where it cometh and whither it goeth. And so, he goes on to tell us then, and we miss the point, everyone that is begotten of the spirit, or of the what now? See how they've changed it? they changed it right back, and he used the right word to define what he's talking about. He's talking about the nature of something. If you're born of the human nature, and that's your only source of how you were begotten, if everything you have has come out of what, Humanity can supply you as in contrast to what has come out of and represents the very nature and character of God, and that's always revealed through propositional language, communication. My words are breath. My words are wind, Jesus said. Let's go to chapter 6 and verse 63. That phrase uh, of the Spirit, that's that, uh, geni- genitive, out of the that's Spirit. That's right. It's out of. So it gives it the idea. So when you say, like in Acts two, it was pour- it was poured out. Well, that's barbaric. Give us a person. No wonder <laughs> people turn their backs on the Bible. You've got a person that you pour. That doesn't make sense. That's stupid. But people talk about that. You know, all the time, that's what you hear. It's permeated the thinking because we have become a very, very uh, dependent society, not believing what's factual and what's true, but what is sensational. There's a sensationalism to this thing, and that we've got to break out of, or we're going to continue being in the course of cursing, the curse of of uh, wrong thinking, go to six sixty three, John, John six sixty
1: three. Again, the 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 spirit or the breath, it is that which quickeneth.
0: The flesh, sarks. That that word sarks there is what again? That's human nature. That's so he's con-, he's con he's contrasting the human nature with the nature of whom of God or of Christ. They're not two separate en- two separate entities, by the way. They're simply two separate persons, each of whom have a spirit. Uh, that's who they are. The the words that I speak unto you all are
1: what? And what does it say here? Breath,
0: breath, breath. breath. Unto you are breath. That's your source of life. When does the baby take on its personal life identity is when it takes in its first breath. And you want to swat that thing. I've had five of them. You swat that thing until they start crying. Oh, you want to start them off with a whipping. (laughs) And all of mine started off with a whipping. After the first couple, you know, the rest of them don't get so many because they learned from the first one, so I don't want to go through that. (laughs) Okay. And then we go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 2, and then I think we can get, and there's just another point or two that I wanted to make. But last week I had some emails commenting on the fact that how, how beautiful the Bible is, because last week we talked about uh, the eunuch, As could, could the eunuch be a, a part of the assembly under the law? No. No, you remember that. And then we read um, another passage in Isaiah where there was going to be a change with the new covenant where they would be allowed. Remember that? And then we got into our text here in Acts chapter 8 and we actually have a eunuch and Philip violating the law is introducing what's happening in chapter 9 by baptizing the eunuch. What I, and I didn't realize that folks were really impressed with that, and I got emails of that effect. Um, that there's a, God has a very definite plan. Folks, when we're in that plan and we understand how it has worked through the Scriptures, and we don't mix up our covenants, we keep them separate, we're under a covenant that's not the covenant of the old covenant. We're under the new covenant, and when we get all of that straight, there is a beautiful harmony. It just is spine tingling to see how it all fits together. Is so rational. All right, now where did I send you? Oh, Acts two, Acts two, two. Dave, is, it, is there is it any way possible that the eunuch uh, wouldn't have been allowed or would have been discouraged from reading Isaiah? Because he wasn't part of it. I mean, could that have been a society pressure in those days? Or oh, I did know. this guy have enough going on for him or he could have Well, since have he those was scrolls, next to the queen, that probably, know, yeah, that pro- makes probably sense. isn't going to be much argument. But somehow he had become acquainted uh, with uh, uh, not with just the law, but he was acquainted with the prophets. And that's why he had a question. You know, you don't ask questions if you don't know anything. You know, you got to know something to ask the right question. Well, again, it was Philip who noticed. I mean, it's written that it was Philip who noticed him, not
1: him oh, that noticed yeah.
0: Philip. Yeah, that's right. So Philip was alerted to this situation and, and invited himself in. So you see this word, uh, the sound of a rushing of a wind? This is also from the root word spirit. And it's in the genitive and it's singular, and um, in this case, however, notice here: it's feminine Why is it feminine? Because it has to agree. it all has to agree with what is modifying. See that's called what's that called in Greek? Concord. It has to agree in gender with what is modifying. So in this case, um, it's modifying the verb which is in the feminine gender, isn't it? Yeah, it's in the feminine gender. And so when has to then therefore be, therefore be in what gender? Has to be in the feminine gender also. As it applies to the disciples Yeah, But you see you can't do there are some things that you can't change the gender of. You cannot change the gender of what Jesus was when he was in the womb of Mary, which was what? Feminine. Feminine. He did not become masculine until he was born. John, John the Baptist was what gender when he was in the womb of Elizabeth? Neuter. Neuter. He did not become a male before until he was born in the fact of the changing of gender. Now, that's all there in black and white. Uh, Christ was born of the seed of the woman. What's that? He was born of the seed and the reason the difference there is because Jesus was born of the seed of the woman, therefore in the womb he was in the feminine gender. Until he was born, and then he became. But from that point on, he is always in the masculine gender and everything that modifies him then has to be in what gender? Right. Has to be in the masculine gender. That's called, in the Greek, concord. That's how it is so easy to diagram uh, these uh, sentences in the Greek is because there is a law. Alexander the Great did a marvelous job in constructing scientifically the Koine language of which we use, and it's just amazing. <clears throat> so when we, when we come to verse 39 then in our text, back in Acts chapter 8, and when they were come up out of the water, the, the, the wind, the breath effect, the wind of the Lord swept, and caught away Philip. Now,
1: it doesn't give us any more information, so we leave it
0: there. You, you can't add to nor take away from, as Merwin said last week. We don't want to add to the scripture. But the interesting thing is to me, it is so easy to get focused on the sensational here, rather than to get focused on what it is that happened to Philip, I mean to the eunuch. There's where the miracle was, not here,
1: because that's the end of it. There
0: was a purpose and a function. God really had a plan, and when the eunuch understood who Jesus was, he wanted to be a part of what it is Jesus came to establish and the only way that one can enter into the body of Christ his church is by being buried in Christian baptism it is so simple every conversion in the new covenant always begins with a belief in who Jesus was a separation from sin and a uniting with uh, with Christ in his in the burial in the in the burial of water baptism, you have never heard any prophet of the Bible. You have never heard in the New Testament when anyone asked the question, "What must I do to be saved? No one has ever said, Well, accept and receive Jesus into
1: your heart I heard
0: that this morning on one of those 35,000 people in attendance, just accept Jesus and ask Jesus to come into your heart. I wanted to ask him, you know, I'll give you $10,000 if you can find any example of that anywhere in the New Covenant. It doesn't exist. Why would anybody tell somebody something that was going to ensure their damnation? Why would you tell anybody that? It isn't that... We accept Jesus into our life. Our responsibility is to enter into his life. We've got it all backwards. And baptism is where we enter from the state of being out of sorts with God into being in sorts with God. There is no other step that is an into process such as water baptism. And that's why 1 Peter 3 says that the ark representing the, the church that it, we, they were saved by water from those who were not in the ark. And baptism is the same way, he said. It is where you are saved. It's where you, God changes his mind about you. And that should have been the dynamics of this thing with Philip and the eunuch. When he ordered the chariot to stop, they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why? Because that's how Philip was going to get his spirit renewed with God. I mean, the eunuch. Thank you. It's so clear. And then, you see, that's what we should be focusing on because that's something that we can do. That's what we must do. And that's what we must tell everybody to do if they want to be in harmony with God. They must be immersed into Christ because that's doing in form what Christ did in reality. He died, he was buried, and he rose again, and that's our identity with him. There is where we contact the blood of Jesus that covers us from our sin. Cannot pray, because you can't pray before you're in the church. You cannot pray to God until... You have a high priest. You have to become a priest. Only priests can pray. Every, every Christian is a priest because they've all come into the faith the same way. They've all been buried in Christian baptism, and in doing so, they become a priest with access to God. Nobody else has access to God. Jesus did not become a high priest so that everybody could have have access to God. He wants it that way, but you have to be in him. He must be your high priest. We must acknowledge him as a high priest. That's what gives us access to the Father. Then is when we can begin to pray, and we've got people praying all over that I'll just be shocked. I don't mean that. But I mean, for emphasis sake, we we tell people things that are not true, that give people a false hope, and then we engender some kind of a response and a reaction to what it is they shouldn't have been doing anyway, but it gives them confidence that whatever it is they did must have been right because they got a response out of it. You get that? How yeah, we I was this whole lesson here that you had in in Romans eight fifteen about Spirit of adoption. Yeah, and that's and that's that's where we we become adopted. Then that shows the right path to how this works. Yeah. How come you're reading ahead? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm actually reading behind. Oh, reading uh, behind. Okay. <clears throat> so, you know, we we have all kinds of materials, but if you just go through when when the new covenant begins in Acts chapter two, every conversion. Some of them were not told to believe because they were already believers. So why would you tell somebody to do something they already did? Some of them were not told to repent because they had already shown that they were in alignment with the truth of God. So there wasn't they were not but they were all told to do the one thing that isn't a work, and that's baptism. Everything else is something that you have to do. The hard work. Jesus said, belief is the work. That's where the work comes in. Folks, you've got to study in order to come to a rational decision that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. You have to believe what the apostles have said about him. That's the only way you can come to that belief. It does not come unilaterally. That's Calvinism. The document is given to us so that based on what has been written we can come to a rational decision that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And folks, when we come to that point, the next thing that we want to do is be united with him. And the reason that we don't want to go through the water baptism is there is something about the lordship of Jesus that we're rejecting. So you've got to go back and start all over again with Jesus. And you've got to go through, as, as the eunuch did, as Philip did with the eunuch, go back and discuss Jesus again. Because until they understand the place of water in conversion, there is something about the lordship of Jesus that's being spurned. That was his last command. Go ye therefore into all the world, teach and make disciples, and baptizing them in the name, the character, We don't do it. We tell people something entirely different. We don't. But I have. That doesn't make it right. And I tell you, when when you compromise the process of coming into salvation and into a saved relationship where you can have access to God in prayer, when you compromise that process, folks, you're guilty of treason it's the worst thing that you could possibly do is to give Nolan a false hope. That somehow he's going to make it. Well, God loves everybody. That's universalism. God so loved the world that he he made a provision. That means, folks, that you've got to be in the provision in order to be where his love is. God is love. I know that. God is love. But where is God? God's in the church. That's Philippians, or Ephesians one twenty-two and 23. He's in the church. You have to be there in order to be a participant of the benefits of God's love. God does not love promiscuously. And the idea is that because God is love, everybody is going to be, because God would never hurt anybody who doesn't do what is right, God wouldn't hurt anybody. See, that's so mistaken about God. There has to be a fear of God. There has to be an understanding that God is a God of anger, the God of wrath, as well as the God of mercy and the God of truth and the God of love. But all of those positive characters of God are only found where he is, and he's not generally everywhere, in a sense that he is generally everywhere, but specifically, where he is a, an effect, has an effect upon us, is where he abides. His habitat is where? It's in the church. Read it. Let's go there. I know that's Neil, if you keep me going here, I'm going to get worked up this sweat. <clears throat> Let's just uh, Ephesians one twenty-two and twenty-three, and, and by the way, this is just one out of many. But you know, Colossians is one of the themes as well.
1: And he put all things in subjection.
0: This is verse twenty-two. And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him his head over all things to the local Masonic lodge. With what? The church. Oh, the church. Oh, which is his body. You can't be in one without being in the other. It isn't that his body is in you; it's that you are in his body. We enter his body with the new covenant process. The gospel of the kingdom is the good news that everyone can enter the kingdom, because the kingdom is a universal view of the local autonomy of the churches. The kingdom represents all of the churches in every community that are true to the new covenant, which is his body. The church is his body. You cannot be saved outside of his body. Now the fullness of Him, every every element, element of Him is found where? In the body. That's where all of the blessings of God are found, are in His body. They're not found outside. God, God is omnipresent in the general sense But for you to become a partaker of what it is he has for you, you have to be in the place where he has made that provision available to you. you get that? All
1: right. So the important
0: thing about Philip and the eunuch is that the eunuch recognized that when he understood Jesus, he wanted to do the right thing. He did the right thing and he went on his way rejoicing because now his spirit was renewed before God, where it had been separated from God. Now it was renewed, and he was in good standing with God. Now he had access to God in prayer and through prayer for the forgiveness of any new sins. Let's go to chapter 9. Any questions on that? Folks, we have to learn to focus on the things that are our responsibility to do. We cannot focus on the things that God does unilaterally that may have only been done in isolated places, and it's always was in the fulfillment of some purpose. Uh, one thing I like about this in verse 35 of 8, And Philip opened his mouth and began from that scripture announcing the glad tidings of Jesus to him. And then they went along and he came to the water. So within the glad tidings of the gospel, the eunuch heard about baptism. He did. So the inference, it's doubled down on. There's no way to escape it uh, from the text. Amen. He had to have had Philip, Philip... Must have included that in his. I don't believe that you can preach Christ without preaching your need to identify, and form what He did in reality. Because He would have never, the water would have never meant anything to Him as they went by it any other reason. No, there've been, there been that water's always been there. Sure. Yeah. But now
1: it had a unique purpose.
0: Good. Good. Thank you, Neil. All right, let's go to chapter nine. I just got to get. Merwin happy here he's all uptight about can't we get into yeah. but I, I wanted to clarify the position of of, of um, the eunuch in baptism and I wanted to clarify that if we would see the word breath when we see the word spirit we'll get a better understanding but we have to understand that, that breath isn't just breath breath is the carrier of all that something is The the spirit of a ball game is what you pick up from what's going on in that ball game. It's not a separate entity. It is never a separate entity anywhere in the scripture. Now, chapter 9 and verse 1. And now Saul, immediately, we don't know at this point. Well, we know that Philip ended up uh, with the blowing of the wind. Forty miles away, I think you told us that last week, and uh, so now we uh, and be, be, because that isn't important to us except as a record of what happened. But now, immediately, we have introduced a new character. E, yeah. And each of these characters are bringing something. Peter in Acts chapter 2 and 3, and then uh, Stephen, and then um, Philip, and now Saul. Each one has a distinctive purpose in their coming to the, um, um, the, 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 the drama, a part of the drama here, of the opening up of God's most special dream for humanity is beginning here and it is beginning to take shape and and you'll notice so far it has been the transition as peter was to the jews and now the transcending of it into the gentiles because that was the fulfillment of the promise remember the promise begins in uh, genesis chapter 12 verses 1 and 3 and then later in the in exodus we have the law added to the what? The promise. The law was added to the promise to ensure that the promise could be carried out. The law had no other purpose than that. That's why the fall of Revelation deals with the end of Judaism and the destruction of Jerusalem and of Judea so that we would realize that the promise stands when Judaism goes down the promise we are we must be in abraham oh that reminds me i got to read one more this is free merlin just relax let's go to uh galatians chapter 3 since i brought that up galatians chapter 3 <clears throat> look at look at this verse
1: 27 327 See,
0: the, the promise was made to whom? Back in Genesis 12. It was made to Abraham. And the promise that was made to Abraham was that there would be an emphasis you know, I'm summarizing now, uh, would be open to all people, all nations, all tongues.
1: Spoken well,
0: And they would all be spoken well of. That's what the word blessing means. So... Um, So I'm going to read verse 25, but I don't want to deal with it much. But now that faith has come, now that the faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And the tutor was who? The law. The law. That's that's in the previous two verses. The law, the faith has come. That is, the total revelation of God's will for man has arrived on the scene. We are no longer under that tutor, which was the law. We're not under it any longer. But there was a struggle with it from now until 70 A.D. They coexisted. For you are all sons of God through faith. Not by any other means. All sons of God through, I suspect it's the faith, which means that it's the embodiment of truth. For Now notice in verse 27, for all of you, All of you have clothed yourselves with Christ. What did I leave out? uh, See, that's up the street. They don't care about that verse. They don't like that verse. They just assume it wasn't there. For all of you, all
1: of you who were, what if they weren't?
0: They're not clothed with Christ. You have no garments. You're naked before God. That's not a nice way to be. Some of you are less nice than others when it comes to your nakedness. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You have to be baptized into Christ. And when you are into Christ, you are where Christ is, his body. And so Christ is then among you. That's uh, Colossians 3. Among you. There is neither Jew nor Greek. See, this the breaking down of that distinction. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. It makes no difference at all how you were born is where you are. Where do you have to be in this verse, verse 28? In Christ, in Christ Jesus. Not Christ in you. Where did we get that idea? Well, from some of the English texts. That have mistranslated it. For you are all one if you're in the right place. And if you belong to Christ, it isn't that he belongs to you. He wants to be a part of everyone's life, but he will not bring himself to encroach on you. You must come to where he is. If you belong to Christ, then you are Whose
1: descendants now you are
0: heirs according to the promise of acts two thirty eight that's the That's the gift of sonship provided by the very nature and character of God called the spirit in acts two thirty eight Then you are heirs according to promise. who do you have to be a descendant of to be an heir Abraham. Now, oh, that's clear. one, how many doctorate degrees does it take to misunderstand that? Four? Yeah, at least. At least four. I mean, you've got to be really educated to misunderstand that. All right, chapter nine. Just in time to quit. Are we? Well, we got one minute. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to quit early, don't you? And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest. Now who are we talking about? Saul, Saul who became later known as? Paul. Paul. So Saul, still, see who was there when they stoned Stephan? Oh, oh, uh, Saul was. Saul was there. He He was sponsoring the stoning of Stephen. He was a part of the Jewish persecution of Christianity and of the Lord's Church. And he is still there. He's breathing out threatening. And by the way, that word breathing there is also the word for spirit, uh, spirit translated spirit everywhere else. Why don't they translate it that way? Or here? Why? doesn't make sense, does it? Well, it doesn't make sense anywhere once you know it. See that the, the, the latter part of that word? That's pneuma. Pneumon. Pneumatos. Same word we've been discussing all, all morning this morning. The word for pneuma is the word translated spirit, which ought to be breath. And here they've got it right. They have a, a prefix on it here. It's par- and uh, it's what? Par- and it's a participle, which means it's a verb turned into an adjective therefore it's called a participle in greek so he is he is breathing out he is spiriting out i guess you have a better definition of the, what the word spirit would be spiriting out means that he is he is exposing who he is and his attitudes and his disposition toward the christians toward the disciples And I want to say one more thing and then we have to close. When he talks about the disciples of the Lord, people need to become disciples to the point where they understand enough about Jesus to do what the eunuch did. Until that point, they're really not disciples. And this word disciple doesn't simply mean just a learner, it means a disciplined learner. A disciplined learner. One who, one who has learned through discipline or by discipline, the real facts of the matter. Boy, that's hard to come by now. And he was indeed a seeker of God. And he, it, was, he was seeking God through His Word. Uh, the uh, the, eunuch. the oh, exactly. Yeah, I thought you were talking about Saul. No. you're getting ahead of me there. there. No, that's right. And so the, the eunuch was a real seeker. So therefore, it was easy to sit down and share with him what the truth is. You see, that's our premise here in this little body of Christians here, that we have people come, we have people go over the years. But, you know, our basic philosophy is let's, let's be open to the truth, let's seek the truth, Let's not be fragile. Let's not get our feelings hurt. Let's always be open to what's right no matter what it is and no matter where it comes from. And that's why I say it isn't whether I'm right or not, it's what? What's right. What's right. What is right. And our mission as leaders is to always make people or give people the tools on how to think so they can arrive from the information that they study, at a proper rational decision. And then upon that, act. And it really isn't a belief until there is action. Seeking sinners. Huh? Seeking sinners. Seeking sinners. Yep, in Galatians and as well. Those who are seeking sinners. All right, folks. One question, David. You've been wonderful today. Glad for all of those folks who have tuned in. Some of this is redundant to you. But we're starting Chapter Nine. We won't. Well, I won't say that for sure. But not likely we'll we go back to Chapter Eight again. That's history, and um, it'll be there for you if you want to uh, study it any further. There's a lot of things we haven't dealt with. But folks, Chapter Nine is going to open up a whole new, whole new ball game, and we don't want to miss any of it because it's very critical as to what happens so that you and I can be a part of today. Father, we thankful that we have a time set aside and that these folks so willingly, voluntarily come to be a part of. And for those who have tuned in today, uh, we're so thankful that we have folks who are interested in what's right, interested in the truth, and may may our disposition toward truth be such that we can ponder it, and if we determine it is right, to embrace it